All right. So anyways, uh, what we're going to be covering this evening is really based on a book uh, and also a recent broadcast on the radio uh, by a gentleman named Dr. Larry Crabb. And the name of the book is called The Marriage Builder. And I'm so blessed that you guys have come tonight, you know, to seek the Lord together as a couple, but it, it really largely in part to invest in your marriage. Now statistics, a lot of times you're going to hear this quoted. Statistics tell us that Christian uh, marriages and non-Christian marriages, uh, the, 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 the rate of divorce is the same. That's what they say. 50% of all marriages, whether Christian or non, end in divorce. But where the, the statistics are radically different is in those Christian marriages that say the Lord is the center of our marriage. They actually did a poll on this. There was a study done. Amongst those Christian couples who say the Lord is the center of our marriage, the, the success rate skyrocketed up to 92% success rate. And so what that means is that when you're a Christian couple who makes the Lord the center of your marriage, then you're... You know, your likelihood of, of, of just finishing that, that, that calling of husband and wife, it skyrockets. You know, and then to see you guys here tonight, you know, is a blessing to me. I mean, if you would commit, like, to investing in your marriage and, and coming to the marriage fellowships, I mean, I, I, I would almost guarantee, not, not that you're going to have a perfect marriage, but that you're going to go the distance. And whatever it is that God has intended for you as a couple, you will realize. And so I'm blessed to see you here. Bottom line is, here, here's what happens. Some couples, when they get married, they, as individuals, get worse. Because they marry a man or woman that tears them down. Others, however they grow and they get better because they marry a man or woman that builds them up. Now, of course, we know that the spouse is not the only one who influences us. And so if we keep our eyes on the Lord, you know, there's always hope. But it's such a blessing when husband and wife are on that same page and, and, and investing in the marriage to build one another up. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's, it's the marriage builder. And, and that's why we're here, to build our marriages. And I really pray that God would do that. And, you know, this book, The Marriage Builder, the cool thing about it is that it's based on the Bible. And so uh, I'd like to begin with a, a theoretical situation. Are you guys listening? Okay. It's actually a true story. And I want you to listen for a second and tell me what you would do in this particular situation. So both husband and wife are finally home from a long day. They're tired one night, but the husband says, I'm more tired than you are. And so they both sit down, husband begins to watch television, and wife opens up her laptop and checks her emails. As she's there checking her emails, about two minutes later, she says out loud to no one in particular, I left my iced tea in the kitchen. So your, your husband, you're watching television, you're more tired than she is. She's there, you know, checking her emails. She says out loud to no one in particular, I left my iced tea in the kitchen. Question, husbands. What would you do? Be honest. What would you do? So Jasmine does this every night. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pop up, go in the kitchen, get her iced tea. He actually did, yeah. Okay. That's what we're supposed to do. Now here's the thing, immediately when that happens, there's a, a kind of a, a tug of war, there's a battle between two things called ministry and manipulation. 
um, the, the husband sometimes, and I know this is an extreme example, but the husband can almost say something like, you know what, I, she needs to learn. I need to hold her accountable. She needs to learn not to forget things. You know, next time it might be something more important and I won't be around to help her. So um, I need to teach her not to forget. And besides, I think she's manipulating me and taking advantage of me. But then as he's there, another thought comes into his mind and it's the Lord and, he, and, it, and it says, listen, if I died for you on a cross, then why can't you get up and get a nice tea for your wife? So anyways, this true story, the husband ends up getting up and getting the iced tea and, and he took the iced tea to his wife and you know what she said? Thank you. So he, he, you know, he gives her the iced tea, she says, thank you. And then he, he starts heading back to his spot on the couch and you know what he thinks to himself? That's it? <laughs> After this amazing thing, which I've just done for her, shouldn't there be some extra word of commendation? I mean, some sort of at least promise for future reward or something. All she says is, thank you. <laughs> and this is what happens. He sits down, irritated with her, irritated with himself, because he realizes this, that I can't even be good without being bad. And what we find a lot of times is the problem in marriage is this thing, um, you guys, I think you might have it in your, in your notes, that the central problem in most marriages is unrecognized self-centeredness in the way that we relate. You know, there are many problems in life and in, in, in our hearts and in marriage, but uh, a lot of them um, are really just manifestations or symptoms of this primary problem in which we have this unrecognized self-centeredness in the way that we relate. You know, and rather than ministering to our spouse, oftentimes we manipulate them without even recognizing it. And it's summarized in the word that most of us are familiar with, the word selfishness. It's selfishness, right? And that happens, it begins actually the moment that we're conceived. You guys know uh, Psalm 51 in verse 5, remember what David said? He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. You know, there are those who believe that human beings are born with a blank slate, but what the Bible says is that we were conceived in sin. You know, some churches call it original sin. But what it is, is the fact that the moment we were conceived, we have what's called a sin nature. Now, most of us know that. Most of us are familiar with Psalm 51 verse 5. But did you ever consider the context of that passage? That it's the context in which David had fallen into sin, sexual sin with, a, with, with Bathsheba, that, you know, being a completely and utter selfish act. And, and then this psalm, now a psalm of repentance, but it's also a psalm of revelation. It's a psalm of revelation revealing the fact that not only is it, you know, this issue of theology and anthropology, that the depravity of man is present in the moment of conception. That's how deeply embedded it is inside of us. You know, and, and that's pretty heavy. You know, in sin, my mother, my, my father, they conceived me. You know, it, it doesn't mean that procreation is bad. Of course, we know that's not the case. It just means that we're born with that selfish, sinful nature so deeply within us. And in one sense, the fight of our life is that fight against selfishness. You know, for us, it's I'm, I, I'm all about me and looking out for me. That's what we call the fall of man. 
Now, if you, if you were to turn to Genesis one twenty six, what we find is crazy, is we have fallen a long ways. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, the Bible says that God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So let me ask you a question. Who's talking here and who is he talking to? Let us make man in our image. It's the Trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're not made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of God. So God says, let us make man in our image. Plural, right? And so the members of the Trinity uh, are there. They're making us in their image. Let me ask you a question. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Does that mean that God is kind of like me? Is he like five, seven and a half? You know, weighing about 125? No, I'm just joking. I mean, <laughs> we're made in God's image. What does that mean? You guys got to know this because this is in the beginning of the Bible. We're, we're made in God's image. What does that mean? You're not like the animals. It's not just instinct. Yeah, we're made in His likeness. What does that mean? Yeah, it's true. We're His children. And yeah, we're, we, you know, He made everything else, the animals and, and all that. And they, they're, they're beautiful. We love animals, but we're different than animals. We're made in the image of God. And that means that we're moral. It means that we're spiritual. It means that we're rational, and it also means that we're relational. Those four things. We're, we're moral. That means we know there's a right and wrong. We're, we're, you know, we're rational. We can reason. We're not just instinct. We're, we're spiritual. In other words, we're eternal. But we're also relational. And that's the one that we want to talk about now is that we can have a relationship with God and with others. And in that relational aspect in which we interact with other people, we don't have to do this in a selfish manner. The thing about relationship that's most important is love. When it comes to being made in the image of God and being able to have a relationship with God and others, that wonderful thing that we have as human beings, we don't have to be selfish. We were made, as a matter of fact, in the image of God to be like God in that we would love. And so it's interesting because it all comes back to that same battle. You know, when you look at the, the members of the Godhead, this is so amazing to me. I don't know if you guys have ever really thought this through as far as the way the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit interact with each other and even with mankind. The members of the Godhead are profoundly committed to the well-being of the other at any cost to themselves. So they're profoundly committed to the well-being of the others at any cost to themselves. Whereas in our fallen state, um, we are profoundly committed to the well-being of ourselves at any cost to others. So, so for us as, 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 married, as married people, husbands, listen just for a second, listen. If you love your wife, then your whole reason for being her husband is for her best interest, to love her. And understand that the only one you're supposed to love more than her is God. You understand that? You know, not your friends, thank God for your kids, 
But you have to love God first, your spouse second. Then your kids. A lot of times what happens is we love others more than we love our spouse or we don't love God or our spouse. This is what, what marriage is all about. I I'm, I'm now have been given a, a husband or, or a wife to love for their best interest. I'm profoundly committed at, at, at whatever it takes, whatever the cost is to me for their benefit. You see, that's what it means to be created in the image of God. And yet, what ends up happening in marriage is we get it completely backwards. We really do. You know, they call it a, a tick on the dog relationship. You guys ever had to get rid of a tick on a dog? You know what I'm talking about? And they just kind of blastado, they plant themselves in the, in the dog and, you know, you, whatever, you have to burn them out or something. And so uh, a tick, what it does is, it, is it, it latches itself to a host and it just sucks the, the blood out of it, right? And uh, a tick finds a host, sucks out whatever it needs. But the problem is in, in some marriages is that there are two ticks and no dog, you know? <laughs> you know, I'm in it for what you can give me. I'm in it because I need something from you. And we're going to see that that's really not the heart of what marriage should be. Most people get married because they're looking to someone to meet their needs. You know, this man that I read about, he said his girlfriend and eventually fiance was doing for him, his heart, his soul, what no one else had ever done. And so obviously, he, you know, he fell in love with her and he asked her to marry him. And when they were married, he said all the right words. But what he was really saying to, to her when he got married was, you're doing a great job of making me feel the way I want to feel. Let's get married so you can keep it up. You know? I mean, I mean and what, what we find in marriages and life is that there, at the end of the day, you got to understand there is no one other than God who can adequately meet all our needs. And our spouse is not given to us to make us feel good. God will use them to help us be good or to grow as Christians, but that's not their purpose. Why do so many marriages throw in the towel when things get rough? It's because of the deep longing in the human soul for satisfaction and when our spouse, because we're looking to them, doesn't satisfy that hunger within us, we figure to ourselves, well, this isn't what I had in mind when I got married, and so I'm going to find someone else. You see, when we get married, we assume and we expect that that person is going to do for us something that only God can. And when they fail, we quit. And so, you know, that, that the problem in marriage is that that selfishness, that self-centeredness that a lot of times we don't even recognize. You know, we want to manipulate rather than minister. And so that moves us to our second point, which is the process of marriage. And, and what I mean is that if, you, if you've got your eyes on the Lord, if God is in your heart, if you're, if you're looking to the Lord and His Word, then, then as you continue forward in life, and especially as a married man or, or woman, there should be this process that begins to take place. And so number one, letter A, is the word growth. Growth. We're supposed to grow. Do you guys know that? We, we need to grow. The Bible speaks frequently of growth. And we have some passages there, Ephesians 4.15 speaking the truth in love that we might grow in first peter 2 2 it talks about the milk of the word so we can grow first peter 3 18 it says growing in the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ are we growing as christians i'm sure most of you know by now that after you're married the most influential person in your life will be your spouse and and do you guys understand that and so Question, are you building your spouse up or are you tearing them down, right? 
And what we want is to be used by God to build them up so that we can grow. You know, and, and you know, you're maybe you're here and you said, yeah, but Manny, I've been, I've been teaching them, man. I've been preaching the word to them. And they're just not growing. It's like they're, you know, going backwards or something. <laughs> and, and what's the problem with that? If you're a husband or a wife that's preaching, what might be the problem? Is that that's not really the way they're going to be built up and grow for the most part. 99 times out of 100, it won't be the words we speak unless they are radically backed up with the lives that we live. And you guys know, huh? I don't need to say it, but man, actions speak louder than words. And so as we're living that life of love, as we're living out this Christian life, we're going to be used by God in our spouse's life that they might grow. If you want your spouse to grow, then you're going to have to grow too. You know, the other day I was talking to a lady and uh, she has been coming to the church probably, I don't know, ever since maybe like, you know, 10 years now. And in the beginning stages, she would always complain about her husband. Always complain about her husband. And so, you know, we would try to share with her, you know, we're praying for you, we're praying for, for him. But um, um, the other day was weird. I went up to her, you know, we were talking and stuff. And she said, you know, um, I, how, how, how are things going? And she said, you know, my husband is is growing so much. She said... And, and, and I have grown so much. And I talked to the husband too. It's kind of cool. And he said, yeah, she's grown a lot too, man. Because um, I don't know about you, but how do you guys feel about this? That a, a lot of times, let's just say I have to tell my wife, hey, babe, you know, the Bible says you're supposed to be submissive. How many of you think that would be a, probably a mistake? Probably. I'm not wanting to put the Holy Spirit in a box, but probably. And you wives, you wives, you tell your husbands, hey, buddy, <laughs> you're supposed to love me as Christ loves the church and you got to lead. How many of you guys think that that might not be a good idea? Again, I don't want to put the Holy Spirit in a box, but um, that's not how 1 Peter 3 says a wife wins her husband to the Lord. And Ephesians 5, it talks about the husband not just saying, but dying. So, you know, what I find a lot of times, because I don't want to make God's word impotent, is that if your husband needs to learn to love you, sister, he's probably going to have to hear it from someone else. And he's probably going to have to see your 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, character. All I'm saying is that there's this process of growth that's going to take place, but if you want them to grow, then you're going to have to grow. And, and what ends up happening is, you know, we, we, we change for the better. You know, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but um, do you guys ever mess up in your marriage? You know, every once in a while, you get, you, you know, you mess up and uh, here's something about those failures. I don't want you to be frustrated by them because what ends up happening was when we, when we do fall and, and slip and, and fail, we can actually use it as an opportunity to grow because what happens is when we fail, the dross rises to the surface and it's at that point we can see what, what we're doing wrong and we can skim it off. We can repent. And we can change and then we can grow. And then what ends up happening is those stumbling stones actually become stepping stones. Don't think that just because you had a, a, an argument or, or, or a little you know, holy headlock or intense fellowship or whatever you might call it. Don't think that you know, you're, you're you know, completely on the wrong track. You know, the, the key is learning from those Mistakes. As a matter of fact, I was reading about one man who came up to a Christian counselor 
And he told him that we haven't had any tension whatsoever in our marriage. Now, some of you here, you hear that and you're like, man, I wish that was me. Well, hold on a second. Because the guy said, we haven't had any tension whatsoever in our marriage. To which the counselor responded, when did you stop living together? <laughs> you know, because if you're living together, you're going to have those hard times. Now, it's interesting because the counselor asked him that question, when did you stop living together? And the man actually responded by saying, six months into our marriage, we decided to sleep in separate bedrooms. Interesting. You know, and I, and I mentioned to you last time that if there's, you know, never any of this holy headlock or struggles in your marriage, then maybe the love is lopsided. Maybe the reason why there's no struggle in certain marriages is because one is dominating the, the relationship. Or maybe what the counselor said at this point is that they're aiming too low. And the reason there's no intensity, so to speak, is because there's no depth. There are no deep things taking place. They're just roommates rather than soulmates. Now, again, I don't want to overgeneralize. I'm not telling you to go home and get in a fight or anything like that. But all I'm telling you is this, that God is using your spouse and even your failures to work deep within you so that we might radically change because there's a problem and the problem is the self-centeredness the selfishness to which there's a process the process is we have to grow what does the bible say john chapter 3 verse 30 he must increase i must decrease less of you more of him right we want to grow, we want to change. And because of the problems, there needs to be that process of growth. And rather than manipulation, um, here's something that you've heard, I'm sure, among marriage circles. Rather than manipulation, try uh, communication. Just in case, maybe you're here and, you know, again, none of us have a perfect marriage, but Maybe you're here and you're like, but I know it should be better. I know it should be more. I want everything that God has for me as a husband and wife, as a family. Right, then, then what steps have you taken to, to change, to grow? Here's uh, something I would, I would challenge you guys in, okay? Um, husbands. Let me, let me challenge you. See if you would like to do this, okay? Maybe you already do. If you do, I mean, that's amazing. But maybe one day you, you go to your wife and you say, Hey, sweetheart, let's go, I don't know, Starbucks. Let's go, you know, dinner. Let's go get a cup of coffee somewhere for, for two hours. We're going to block out two hours of time. And I want you to tell me, sweetheart, what life is like living with me? And be honest. Now, how many of you husbands would be scared <laughs> to really go and listen? But I tell you what, you know, just try it. You know, this, you're giving her this opportunity. And I want to hear it. I want to hear what's going on in the depths of your heart. I want to hear, how am I doing? You know, I have a daughter and, you know, you know, she's, you know, been with, you know, different, whatever, different things have gone on in her life. And, and, and when, when the boy is making her smile as a dad, I tell you what, my heart leaps. But when those, those times where, where you're looking at her and you're like, man, something's wrong. She's struggling. She's hurting. She's crying. And your heart aches. You see, and that's how God is with us, with the one that he's given to us. You know, when 
he's treating her right or when she's treating him right these are this is the way that God sees and and so you know maybe have that uh, conversation here's another thing you can ask maybe you're like no I don't want to ask that open-ended question like that here's another one that you can ask um, give me one thing that I can do better in our relationship how many of you guys here would prefer that take it one at a time <laughs> and and then you let give her time to think about it and then you take it you know one one step at a time Here's another thing that you can ask. Five things that if he would do, you would feel more loved. Five things that if he would do this, then you would feel more loved. Or husbands, you can say this to your wife if she gives you permission. You know, write down five things that if she would do, you would feel more respected. Because Ephesians 5.33 says that's what the husbands long for, is they long to be respected. See, all I'm talking about is like, you know, communication. And, and when, you're, when she's ready to unload, guys, and, and tell you her heart, you know, you got to be ready. See, we want to we want this process of growth and the one area that we want to grow in is love, right? I mean, I, I don't think it would be wrong for me to say that the longer you're together, the deeper you should love each other. I mean, how many of you, no one can disagree with that statement, right? And it's kind of sad because, you know, what happens usually when couples meet each other is they, we use that phrase, they fell in love. We shouldn't use that phrase, huh? They fell in love. That's infatuation. That's superficial. Those are feelings. We should say we grow in love, right? And, and how do you grow in love? Well, you're like, when they treat me right. <laughs> no, that's not love. You know, um, we have to grow in love. And what that is, is when God begins to work in your heart and, you know, like we were talking earlier, when you're just a, any sacrifice to yourself, you're interested in their highest good. And our text right here, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul prayed, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Ephesians 5.25, it talks about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Titus chapter 2 and verse 4, it says that the older women teach the younger women to love their husbands. And so, you know, obviously there's that call to love and we should be growing in that. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to ask you a question, okay? How can we grow to love our spouse more? Any, any, any thoughts? I don't, there's probably no wrong answer, so don't be afraid. But what would you say? How can you grow to love your spouse more. Seek God more. That's a, probably the best one, man. That's kind of how it works, huh? Any other thoughts? Yeah, resist that temptation to be selfish, that self-centeredness. You know, um, I, I wrote some things down here, just a, a couple of thoughts, see if I can find it. It's funny how we say we wrote something down on our phone, huh? Um, 
just talking. Some of you guys here, you're really good at it, huh? I mean, you just spend a lot of time talking to each other. How many of you here, like we, we talk a lot, we, 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 we talk a lot. Not just one spouse, okay, that doesn't count. <laughs> All right, talking together a lot, spending time together a lot. Those are ways of loving each other. Um, but you know what someone told me one time that really stuck is your, that's important to you, whatever that is, because that's important to her. That's, that's love. Huh. I mean, I mean, we could just think of those little practical ways. But, but here in 1 Corinthians 13, notice what we read right here in verse 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. And here it is. Does not seek its own. That, that to me, I mean, there's all manifestations of love. But right there where Paul says does not seek its own. That right there is the heart of love. The antithesis to love is selfishness, self-centeredness. You know, to where I wake up in the morning and I don't, I'm oblivious to what my wife has going on that day. Or uh, I don't, I've never even thought of whether or not she had breakfast or her workload or, you know, how she's feeling. You know, I think she told me yeah, something was wrong, you know, with her eye or a headache, but I forgot all about it or, you know, I mean, there's that, there's that aspect of where we're not really thinking about them. But when you, when you grow in love, they're the forefront. It's like you're, you're thinking about them constantly. Now, where are they at? How are they feeling? Body, soul, spirit. What do they have going on today? I mean, you know, last I heard, you know, my wife, she was diagnosed with a little bit, it's a little high on the cholesterol, you know, you know, spectrum. So how is she eating? And I mean, you know, you just, you just begin to seek them and their best interest as opposed to just mine. Well, sweetheart, you know, I have high blood pressure and, you know, I got to, you know, exercise. I got to take care of myself, right? And it's like you forget about yourself and you're, I don't know, you're zoned in on them. Love does not seek its own or as other translation says, it's not self-seeking or it's not self-serving or it does not demand its own way. Or as one paraphrase says, it isn't always me first. And so I just want to encourage you guys, understand the problem, which is self-centeredness, something we were born with, we have to fight against, um, because when we want to be like God, there has to be this profound, you know, love for others, and, and this whole process now of being married is about growing, and especially growing in love, okay? So there's the problem, then there's the process, and then thirdly, there's the purpose of marriage. And you probably have it in your notes, I don't know if you do, but what's the purpose of marriage? Some will say it's to have kids. <laughs> that is definitely a part of it. Um, godly offspring, Malachi talks about, 
or even, you know, taking away an aspect of loneliness. Malachi also talks about the companionship. And so there is an aspect to that. Um, how many of you say, would say that the, the purpose of marriage is happiness? No, huh? No. The purpose of marriage, number one, is the glory of God. The glory of God. And then number two is the good of man. The good of man. And that's why when you read Ephesians 5, when it describes marriage, and for those of you guys who have been reading the Bible for a long time, I'm sure you would probably say that Ephesians 5, verse 20, uh, 22 through 33, is the heart of marriage in the New Testament. It's like, boom, that's like the beautiful heartbeat of marriage in the New Testament. And what that passage talks about is that the relationship between husband and wife should be a reflection to the world of the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his bride. It is supposed to be a picture to the world of the glory of God. You know, one guy put it this way. He said, I want to put Christ on display by the way that I relate to my wife and others. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, right, and uh, he had uh, nails in his hands and feet, who was he thinking about? Us. He was thinking about his bride. I mean, he's carrying his cross and the women are weeping for him. And what does he, he just says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. And, and he's, he's nailed there. Imagine, you know, them, the way they treated him and beat him and put that crown of thorns on his head. And as he was there on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this guy over here, you know, he's saving him. <laughs> while he's on the cross and there's his mom and Jesus is saying, okay, John, can you make sure you take care of her? I mean, you know, for us, that's what it's all about, right? You know, here's something interesting. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but have you ever had it to where, you know, your spouse kind of does you, I don't know, maybe they push the wrong button. Has that ever happened to you where they push a button? No? Okay, well, <laughs> you know, it happens. And so what's our, what's our natural response? What do we, what, what, tell me, describe to me what happens inside of you when your spouse mistreats you. Just come on, let's, this is supposed to be a marriage fellowship. It's not just a marriage Bible study. It's a marriage fellowship. Murder. <laughs> Praise God for the sisters yes, being honest. Yeah. <laughs> Anger. 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 And, and you know, the adrenaline, I don't know, there's probably some chemical explanation, you know, because we live in a fallen bodies and our the blood starts flowing and the adrenaline and there's an anger vein or something and and it, it starts telling us to do what to to hit him back retaliate right and uh, and what usually happens when you do that they do the same thing escalation Maybe voices start rising a little bit. It can get it can get ugly real fast, right? And so, here's the thing, and you know, in the book it, it talks about this: how, in all reality, when your when your spouse mistreats you, it's it's not just a responsibility to respond spiritually; it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to show them grace. Because if they treat you good and you treat them good, sorry, but it ain't no thing but a chicken wing, man. It's not a big deal. But if they treat you bad and you treat them good, 
then what ends up happening is you're, you're extending grace and that grace will change them. I'm not talking about, you know, weird stuff. I'm just talking about, you know, you operating in a way that would be Christ-like. And what ends up happening is that's what God uses. And if you don't seize that opportunity to show them grace, then you're actually missing out on an opportunity for them perhaps to be changed. And so there's this problem we have. There's a process of growth and love. There's a purpose in which we're supposed to glorify God and do good to men. And then the last thing we have in our notes today is, is the power of marriage. How can I do this? You know, um, Gloria said something so important. How can I, you know, go through this and, and, and grow in love? And, and the answer is you got to seek the Lord. It's like this cup of water, and if you bump it, out comes water because it's filled with water. So when we're filled with God and we get bumped, what comes out? God. You know, every once in a while, you know, thank God, my wife and I, we just celebrated our 26-year uh, wedding anniversary. Can you believe she's put up with me all these years, man? You know, but we have our struggles, and I, we, we all, I was, her and I like to talk like, hey, we're going to be transparent. We're not going to say we have a perfect marriage because I think that will frustrate people. Plus, it's not true. But anyways, you know, um, like, when it's really cool, like when, whatever, I'll push one of her buttons, like I'll, I'll do something by accident, say something that I shouldn't have said. And, and she'll just smile at me and say, I love you, Daddy. Or like she'll do something to me and I'll say, you know, the, 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 I think those little words, those little titles for each other are kind of cool too, huh? You know, it's okay, beautiful, sweetheart. I mean, just when it just comes out, not that you were, Ugh, I'm going to grunt this one out, but it just comes out. Why? Because you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not you. It'll never be you. It'll never be us. It'll always be God. It's something that can only happen in a man's heart when he gives his life to Christ. And as he does give his life to Christ, then he grows in the Lord and he abides in the vine. You know, I, I was reading an interesting story. Um, tomorrow, this isn't funny, Tomorrow, it'll be a 190-year anniversary, okay? It took place May 13th, 1828, where evangelist David Marks, he was out in front of a crowd of people, and he asked them what they wanted him to preach on. And you know what? The first voice that came out, he's all, what do you want me to preach on? And you know what one guy said? Nothing. <laughs> And so you know what he preached on? Nothing. He said to the crowd, nothing. And he showed them in the scriptures how they would be nothing. Like we read in 1 Corinthians 13, without love. And how they could do nothing without Christ. And how they have nothing without Jesus. What does the Bible say? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul, right? John 15 and verse 5, the Bible says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. But is there, isn't there nothing that we can't do? when we have Christ as our strength. You know, Romans 7, I don't want to turn you guys there because I know you're wanting dessert right now and a cup of coffee and you want to take the picture and all that kind of stuff, you know, but <laughs> Romans chapter 7, it, it's, the whole chapter is about, man, the man that, that I want to do, the things that I want to do, I, I don't do, and the things that I, I, I actually, you know, I mean, just basically fighting this fight and 
practicing the things he doesn't want to do and not doing the things he does want to do. And he was a frustrated Christian. And this is what he says at the end of Romans 7. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? I mean, who's going to set me free from me? And what does he say? You guys remember? And thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus, right? Romans chapter 7, he thinks, thanks be to God, it's Jesus Christ. He saved me, but not, not just saved me. Romans chapter 8, what's that about? It's all about the Holy Spirit and how Jesus, remember what John the Baptist said, there comes one mightier than I whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to lose. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need, you guys. John 15, I don't think you have it in your notes, I'm not sure. But you know how that, that, that vine is there and it has all the branches, right? That's what happens when you get saved and you rest in Him. So number one, are you in Christ? Are you saved? If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Not because you're a good person, because heaven is not, I mean, you're not good enough to go to heaven on your own. We've all sinned and separated ourselves from God. We all need a Savior. Jesus died on that cross for our sins. Have you placed your faith in Him? Have you put your trust totally in Him? Because when you do, then you're that, that branch, and boom, now you're in the vine. And now you can bear fruit. Amen? Amen? That's what we want, you guys. And so, you know, wherever we're at tonight, I pray that, man, we would go forward, that we would know there's this power that God can give to us, and there's this growth in love, man, that is so beautiful. And I'm just, again, blessed that you guys are here for the marriage fellowship. That says a lot. But let's see what the Lord does now in, in our lives and our relationship with Him, okay? And so, Lord, we thank You for loving us. We thank You for allowing us to be here tonight. And Father, I do pray, Lord, that You would work in my heart. Lord, I want to be a, a husband that would be pleasing to You. Lord, I want to be a husband that would be used by You to build up my wife. And so, Lord, I know that I can't do this on my own strength. And, Lord, I pray that same truth, that same power over every single life here tonight. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone struggling in their marriages, Lord, that they, they would not be frustrated, that they would not lose hope, that they would not give up. They would remember that you, Lord, are the God who made everything and you can work in their marriage. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who maybe they're not in that relationship with you. Lord, that to me, I think is in, in one sense the most important part of the evening. Lord, that, that every person here would bow their knees to Jesus Christ, the one who came and died and rose again, and that you would touch their hearts. 